just had an amazing time last week. I, I know it's last week, but Easter was really special um, at the Lake Merced campus. You know, we had record participation, and, and over here at the Mission campus, it was great. We, we were able to present a play, a presentation that we, we wrote specifically to just celebrate, you know, the Lord's resurrection, and we did it through the lens of the conversion of Saul. And um, we talked about, if you remember, just his three days of, you know, trying to figure things out as he had met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and how that changed everything in his life. So, you know, we were, we were you know, we had that planned actually for a while because we had been working on, um, you know, months ahead on our sort of series that was leading up to Easter that was focused really on the ministry of Paul. And so, and then just choices that were made around that. We were called it, you know, radical choices. But so we had an idea of how we wanted to approach the, that Easter sort of presentation. But as I was thinking about it, you know, I wasn't quite as certain as to how maybe we were supposed to move out of Easter. And so I actually spent a lot of time praying and thinking about it, thinking about it. And, and um, you know, it was something that I wanted to do connected to this idea of, of life. I thought that we had celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about what life means and what it means from him dying and rising. But what did that mean for us? And there's a lot of discussion lately about heaven. And uh, it's, in, it's kind of in discussions in culture right now. There's a movie about it as well. And just different people are talking a lot about it. And I thought, you know, well, what did Jesus actually have to say about heaven? What did he have to say about the future life? But I was originally just going to have us look at 1 Corinthians 15, but I found myself drawn back to some of the things that Jesus said. He didn't say actually as much as we might think he did, but when he did talk about it, he really touched on some things that have tremendous meaning and value for us. So what I found myself doing, instead of just looking at like the, the great, what's called the resurrection chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, I actually said, you know what, what if, I, what if we go back into moments that were literally just right before the crucifixion, before his betrayal, before his arrest, before his crucifixion, and look at what he had to say. Because he actually had a lot to say about the future life right on that moment where he was about to give his life away. And so in a way, what we're doing is we marked Easter. Now what we're doing is we're actually unconventionally going back in time to what was actually being said by Jesus right before he was crucified so that we can hear his words that forces or send us into the future. So in a way, we're going back to look at the future. That's what I want to do. So I want to, I want to do, we're going to spend some time here, about eight weeks, just kind of exploring what, what is coming next and what did Jesus have to say about it. I'm going to pray, and then we'll put it into a specific context. So let's do that together. Lord, I just want to thank you again for um, just being able to be here. Uh, I, I know, uh, you know, I pray this a lot, but you know, whatever else we may have going on, whatever had we had coming in, I really do ask that you would help us to focus in on this moment and to, and to listen to you and to hear your voice. I, I pray that we would all, you know, in, in a way, stop for a moment and as honestly as we can say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm here to listen and to, and to receive something from you. And uh, you know what we need. So I pray for your grace. I pray for your life. I pray for your goodness, even now, to be among us. In Jesus' name I pray this, Lord. Amen, God. So, you know, uh, the, the specific context of this message is uh, John 13, the end of John 13, and the beginning of John 14. 
And this is a very actually significant moment that we're gonna be looking at. And, I, and for us to appreciate what we're about to share, we, have, we would do well to understand what is actually going on. Again, we're gonna to get to these words in which Jesus talks about what is to come. What got him there is fascinating. How he got to that point in the discussion is really instructive. You gotta remember, this is one of those special moments. Jesus was talking about what he called his hour. He, he was implying that there was a, a particular time in his life that everything was building towards. He said, my, oftentimes he would say, my hour is drawing near, or my hour is at hand. Um, other times when he would say, my hour is not yet come. What he was talking about was what he defined as the purpose for which he was born, the purpose in which he would give his life away as a sacrifice unto the Lord for you and me, to pay a price for us that we could never pay for ourselves. He was talking about his death, his resurrection, and his glorification. He was, he was really talking about the future that he would walk into, the purpose for which he said he was born, to be that gift to us, that bridge of life that only he could be. And so as he was, as he was very aware of his hour, one of the things that is clear is that he didn't really want to walk through the cross. That in his, as, a, as a human being, and he was a fully human being as well, that when he saw the cross, he understood what it meant, that it was, it was horrific. I don't think we should underestimate the cross, not just at a physical level, but even at a spiritual level. Jesus understood that for the first time he would bear guilt and shame. It's one thing, we can feel our own guilt and shame at times, but to bear the guilt and shame of a world and experience, in his case, for the first time, separation from his father, to know that he was going to be utterly um, just uh, under siege from hell. That, that it was not simply just a lot of human activity, that he was going to experience darkness at a level that he, he understood was going to cost him everything. Um, he was walking into a spiritual battle zone. At a physical level, he also understood that his body was about to just get completely broken. He understood that he would be utterly um, you know, torn apart at the hands of violent and callous men, that they would strip him down virtually bare, rip him apart and hammer him up on a tree and hang him there for the indignity of it all, for everyone to see. And nonetheless, it was going to be his enemies also that he would have to endure their mocking. They would spit on him. They would say, if you are who you said you are, get yourself down off that cross. He saw it all coming. When he was in the garden, we know that he didn't really want to do it. He said, Father, if it's possible, if there's another way to achieve what it is we have come to do. I pray that you would take this from me. Take this cup from me. Show me that way. But if not, I submit myself fully to it. So he didn't, he didn't really look forward to this moment at all. The reason I'm saying that is because when we come to what we're about to look at, we need to remember he has this sitting on him. He knows that within really an hour or so's time, he is going to be betrayed by one of his own. He's going to be arrested, and it's all going to start to roll out. He can feel it. He can feel hell circling around him. He understands real pressure. He knows where this is going. He's very self-aware of it. And in the midst of that moment, what, what he also is aware of is, is how his disciples are experiencing it. He can see in their eyes how scared they are. Because things are being said. He's been saying them. They are listening. They're, a lot of things are starting to happen. And one of the things that most impresses me, and again, watch for it when we read it, is how Jesus, in spite of or despite the weight that he was bearing in this moment, how he takes this moment and so utterly 
I would say, beautifully cares for, in a tender way, his disciples. How he secures his team in this moment where all the weight is on him. And he has every right in the world to basically say, to try to just take care of himself because no one understands. And yet he pulls himself out of that. And he's never been more beautiful in some ways. And in that moment, and honestly, if you're a leader at any level, you can totally appreciate this. And, and honestly, a lot of us, I think, can as well. Just whatever, whenever we've had a lot of responsibility and weight or we're feeling like a lot of people are depending on us for things and there's a part of us that just kind of wants to just sort of, you know, have, I, do you know how much I'm caring right now? And then to pay attention in that moment to take it and to sacrificially not focus on yourself but to focus on the needs of, of someone else in your life or others in your life, that's such a beautiful, sacrificial thing. I marvel at it. I marvel at it because it, it really models for us what it means to love sacrificially. Instead of focusing on himself, the Bible says, and having loved them, he loved them unto the end. I just find that beautiful because a lot of times we want to run away from our commitments. If you only knew what I'm going through, you know, we worry about ourselves, and yet Jesus models in the moment where he had every right to worry about himself, what it means to worry about those who he knew were going to fail him. And he still cared for them. He loved them unto the end. So let's look at John 13. We'll pick up. That's the con watch, what, watch how this develops. It's leading us somewhere. This is the bridge that gets us into the future life, if, if you will. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Um, when we talk about he had gone out, who, who's that referring to? That's referring to Judas. So what we know is Judas, Judas had left. Now, Jesus had been contending for Judas throughout the night. He had been trying to appeal to him, um, but the Bible says finally, because so even though God knows what was going to happen, and it was all part of a plan, at a human level, Judas still had to make his own decision. Very fascinating both and here going on. It says that Judas finally decides he's going for it. The negotiations have already been done. Now he's, he's made his decision. And then one of the other gospels says he made his way into the night. Now at that moment, it appears that Jesus has a shift. As Judas leaves, it's almost like he feels that the hindering presence is kind of gone. And he can share at an even more intimate level. Now that the betrayer has left, and the rest of them don't really know that Judas is the betrayer, but as he has left, Jesus feels compelled to share some final tender words at a level that is clearly different than what he's been sharing up to this point. He says, now I want to tell you something. He says, look, the son of man, he's speaking of himself. That was a figurative term that he used both of to speak of himself as the representative human being and also had a connection to the idea of Messiah. He said, the son of man is about to be glorified. He's glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Now, what Jesus is saying here, because the word is interesting, it's like Jesus could have said, the son of man, me, I'm about to die. The son of man is about to die, he's about to rise. But he chooses specifically to say the Son of Man is about to be glorified. In that word is the cross, and in that word is the resurrection. What he can see, he's basically saying is, it's begun. It's now moving. It's now starting. But what I am telling you is that where this is going is going to end up here. So where it it's all starting to roll out. But as it rolls out, remember this. Now is the moment when the Son of Man is going to be glorified. God is going to honor him. Basically, he's talking about himself. He says, God's about to honor me. Even though he knows that the pathway through that is a cross. 
but he can see it through it. He sees past it. He knows where it's going. If, and, and as a result, he says these words. And then he makes another statement. He says, little, and it's almost like catches us off guard in the version that we're using here because it says, little children. We would say, dear ones. Now, in the moment in which Jesus is so aware of what is going, now remember, he's, who's he talking to? He's talking to his team, his most intimate team, his, his group of men that he's been working with now, now down to 11. And he says, he says to them, do you remember, some of these guys were very physical guys. Some of them were fishermen. They, they, they were, you know, there were others as well. There was a tax collector, and there were others who were involved in politics. And it was, a, it was a pretty varied group, but a big contingent of that group were forceful men. And Jesus says to them in this moment, dear ones, listen to me. He says, I want to tell you something. He says, look, I'm going to be with you a little while longer. You're going to seek me. But as I said earlier to the Jews, the Jerusalem leaders and the crowds that were there, because remember, they're all Jewish as well. Where I am going, remember what I told you this. Remember what I said? Because where I am going, you cannot come. I hope you understand this. We're about to part ways. I'm not going to be with you much longer. Do you understand that? This, this way that it has been is about to end. And where I'm going, you can't come. And it was, a, it was a very tender, powerful moment that must have, in their minds, must have, must have really kind of just like settled in. Lord, what is going on here? Why are you saying these things? Now, early, remember I, he says, remember, remember what he tells them in this moment? He says, remember how I talked about this earlier? I, I put an example of one of those earlier times when he had talked about it in the handout. It's from John 7. So you can see he did, when he says, remember what I said earlier? This is an example of what he said earlier. Look at it with me in John 7. We'll just read through it. He said, it says, some of the people who lived in Jerusalem, again, I'm showing you an example of what he's referring to. He says, some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? But here he is, speaking in public, seemingly unafraid, and they say nothing to him. Is it possible that our leaders have changed their mind? That maybe now they actually believe that he is Messiah? But how could he be? Because we know that where this man comes from, when you know, we know where he comes from, and then when the Messiah comes, he simply will appear. No one will know where he comes from. So they're like having this debate about Jesus. Then it says this in John 7, 32. Look at the phrases. Look how he talks about going. It says, when the Pharisees heard the, the things that the crowds were whispering to one another, such things that they were saying, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer. And then I will return to the one who sent me. There it is. And you will search for me, but you will not find me. And you cannot go where I am going. And then the Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. They said, where is he planning to go? What is he talking about? They asked, is he thinking of leaving this country and going to the, our scattered brethren that are in other parts of the, of the world, in other lands, the Jews in other lands? Maybe, maybe he's talking about going to the Gentiles, even teaching the Greeks what does he mean when he says, you will search for me, but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going? So you can see, when Jesus then is talking about going, and he says, remember what I said about going? He's referring to things like this that he said before. So go back to John 13, 33, read it one more time with me, kind of move through this, and then we'll, we'll see where it's taking us. He, remember, he says, so little children, I have, my dear ones, I shall be with you a little while longer, verse 33, you will seek me, and as I said, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I'm saying to you, in light of the fact that I'm going, just like I said I would, I want to give you something to remember. In fact, what I'm giving you, that third column, verse, 
You can see the verse, I'm giving you a new commandment. This new commandment that I give to you, I want you to understand this in verse 34. I want you to love one another. Now look at me. I, I see Jesus say, I want you, I'm leaving you until we are reunited. I want you to love one another. I'm giving you a new, new commandment. I want to love one another. That's not new. What is new is this, as I have loved you. Listen to me. By this shall all people know, everyone will know, the true mark of a follower. They will know that you are mine by the love that you show one to another. And that was a very tender moment. Now watch what happens because Peter, he reacts. And look at verse 36 because Peter is who Peter is. And I love him for it. Because Peter says to him, hey, I have a question. You know, in that tender moment, it's like, almost like Peter says, yeah, it's nice, nice stuff about the loving stuff, but you know, I have a question. And he goes back. He's still stuck in verse 33, right? He still wants to know, where is Jesus going? He says, I have a question. Where are you going? I, lo I love, where are you going, Lord? You know, and it's almost like he can't, he, he wants Jesus to clarify. And Jesus, look at this. Jesus doesn't, what does Jesus do in verse 36? Does he answer him directly? Oh, this is where I'm going. No, Jesus answers. Peter says, where are you going, Lord? Still stuck in verse 33. Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't come. No, Lord, I said, where are you going? Where I'm going, you can't come. You will afterwards, but not now. I, I know, maybe I just said it wrong. Where are you going? Where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm not answering. We, I'm, he's answering a different question. It's almost like Jesus saying, I'm about to walk down a road. You can't follow me down. This is a road I must travel. It's an ugly road. It's a humiliating road. It's a dark, scary land. But it's going to lead to a breakout, a wide vista. It's like when you're on a road, like a, you're on a trail, and all of a sudden you're working, you're working, you're working, and you're kind of in the shadows and the trees, and all of a sudden it just opens up. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand. What I'm about to walk down is a very dark road. There's only room for one here, but when I get there, it's going to open everything up. The vista is going to be so wide and so expansive that it's going to carry everyone into life. Do you understand that? Maybe you don't. That's what he's saying. He says, for I will make a way out of the darkness of the tomb, and not only will that road take me into the light of day, but it will lead me into the light of glory, to a place far beyond what you can, can comprehend, to a place beyond the universes where my Father dwells. And someday, though, Peter, you will follow me. Follow me to death. Follow me to future life, but not now. That's kind of what he's getting. Now, watch what happens. <laughs> Peter, Peter probably should have left it there because it was kind of like, okay, you don't get it. I'm not telling you exactly where I'm going. I'm just letting you know where I'm going. You can't come, but someday you will. And everybody should have said, that's a good answer, Peter. Let's just leave it right there. <laughs> but look at verse 37. Peter says, Lord, how come I can't come? And he senses in Jesus' words that part of what, he's, what Jesus is talking about is going to mean going through death. And Peter says, and I know he's thinking that way because what, look what he says. He says, Lord, why can't I come? He says in front of everybody, I am, I am willing to lay my life down for you. I am. And everyone was impressed by those words, especially Peter. I will lay my life down for you. Why can't I go? 
I'll die for you. And in that moment, you know what? That's what Jesus says. Peter, look at this. Will you? Will you? Will you lay down your life for my sake? <laughs> I tell you. I tell you, look what he says. I tell you, most truly, I tell you this, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me, not once, not twice. You will deny me three times. You will break with me. You will utterly break with me. I will die for you. No, you will not. You will deny me. Before the flush of the new day in the eastern sky, you will deny you know me. You talk about dying for me, when it really comes down to it, you won't even be able to stand for me. You do not know yourself. Now, the part of it was he did know him. He, if you look at the account, now, I'll tell you right now, if people had busted into that room and said, we're coming for Jesus, he, he, was, he was able to fight. That he could do. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But Peter, but, so when Jesus says to him, Peter, you are not going to give your life. You are going to deny me. Now, you got to remember, he said that in front of everybody. And when he says that in front of everybody, you under, uh, when I was looking at that, okay, it's like we ought, in the Bible, chapters are placed so that we can refer to verses. But in the, in the original, there's a connection between chapter 13 and what we call the first part of chapter 14. So the end of 13 and, and the beginning of 14 are actually connected. We often quote, when people talk about heaven, they often quote the first two verses of John 14. You know, believe in God, believe in me, in my Father's house, many mansions. They talk about, Jesus talks about heaven, the future life. But that statement is actually connected to what Jesus is saying to Peter. Remember what's going on. They are listening. For one thing, Jesus has been talking about all kinds of stuff. I mean, someone probably says, hey, well, where is Judas? I don't know. He went out. They don't know why he's gone. What are you doing? What? I don't know. He's just gone. Well, and, then, and then, you know, they know that there's a lot of rumors out there that they're about to try to arrest Jesus. They've tried a couple of times. But the rumor is they're going to try to get him in a place where the public is not aware of it because they know that a lot of people have a lot of respect for Jesus. So the rumor is that the religious leaders are going to find a way to somehow apprehend him at a spot where no one is around. And they're afraid. And Jesus himself has been making them more afraid because he's been talking about like things like, I'm about to die. They're going to take me and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise. There I can only hear the I'm dying part. Whatever else he's talking about, we don't understand that. What are you talking about, Lord? There, th then on top of that, when, as, they're, as they're sort of having this sort of understanding of what's happening, you know, Jesus then adds another layer, and he's saying, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't come. We're about to end this thing as we've known it. And then on top of that, as they're trying to process all of this, they hear Jesus Say to their recognized leader, you, you're going to deny me. Emphatically break with me. And they're all listening to that. And I can imagine in that moment, again, I'm reading the page, we're reading it. But can you imagine in that moment, you're, on the, you're there listening to this and you're watching Peter confront Jesus and Jesus responds to him, you are going to break with me. You are going to deny me. And can you imagine what they're, they're already, they're already, 
you know, unsettled by all the other things that are going on. And then they hear their, that they're, the one that they kind of recognize as the leader, gonna, you're going to utterly fail me. I mean, it must have been. I'll tell you what. We know what, was, what Jesus saw in their eyes. We know it because of what he says. The beginning of chapter 14, verse 1. Listen to me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be gripped with fear here. You believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house, verse 2, are many, he uses figurative language, many mansions, many dwelling places. And look at when he says this. This is something so unusual. He says, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where you may be. And he's, he's going to talk about this. He says, but in my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I am going, listen to me, I am leaving, but I am, I am going to ask you to prepare a place for you. Now, think about that phrase that sticks right in the middle. He's telling these shaken men that you need to, right now, you, need to, you believe in God, you need to believe in me. And you need to understand that, that in my Father's house, there is so much more beyond this life. And you know what he's saying? There is more to come and more than you can see. And I am telling you that, that that is part of what I'm doing here. And when Jesus says something, think about it. It's so rare that he would ever say something like this. It's like Jesus, he, never, he doesn't have to qualify himself. Jesus doesn't have to say, Jesus doesn't have to say you, know, I, you know, this is true. Because when he says it, it's, he, he speaks truth. So he's telling them, he says, if it, were, I am not, if it were not so, I would have tell you right now that it's not true. I am not selling you a bill of goods. I am not trying to lead you down a false path. I am not trying to tell you something that isn't true. If it were not true, I would tell you right now. That's powerful. I am telling you there is more. Now that's his words. I am telling you there is more yet to come that everything that I'm about to do is connected to that. That there is actually going to be a place that I am preparing. I'm going to talk about that place more in depth next week, in the coming weeks. But you know what? I wanted just to wrestle with a couple of pieces, and that's all we'll do in the minutes that we have left. One of the things that stuck out to me, and I'll just kind of put this up, and again, I use these as ways of us engaging it, is that number one, just kind of consider it. You know what? Number one, this is for Peter, but really it's for all of us. We never know better than Jesus. Never. Jesus says, I'm going, you can't come. Peter says, why not? I'm willing to die for you. Jesus says, well, no. <laughs> Peter is basically saying, Lord, I know what you said, but this is what I believe. Can I, you know, it was, a, it was almost like he was contradicting Jesus. Lord, why can I not follow you? Why, look, you can't follow me. You will afterwards. I, Jesus said, why can't I follow you? He's quibbling with Jesus. He's loyal as anything, but he's arguing the point with Jesus' words. And I, I started thinking about that. Lord, remind us that, that there are even, there, we're not always going to understand everything completely in a way that makes sense to us. There are a lot of times, you know, I read, I read this Bible. I've been reading it my whole, pretty much my whole life. And I look at the words of Jesus, and I look at the New Testament. And honestly, I'm a person who's embedded in culture. This is my world. And one of the things that's pretty clear to me is that I view through the lens, the scriptures through the lens of my cultural sensibilities. In other words, there are parts that appeal to me because it goes with where the culture is, and there are other parts sometimes I'm reading it and it goes exactly against what my cultural sensibility is. And you gotta remember, 
we come from a particular time frame where we view issues through our lens. As Western culture, listen, other generations in our own country viewed things differently. There are people right now who love Jesus in other parts of the world who have very different cultural experiences. One of the things I've come to the conclusion of is there are gonna be times where I'm reading God's word and it happens and there are some things that actually are harder for me to understand and appreciate, just as real as it was hard for Peter to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus is saying something, Peter is saying, but that doesn't make sense to me. I wanna, I, I wanna, Lord, I wanna challenge you on that. And Jesus is saying, I'm not gonna answer you. You're not gonna understand everything that I'm talking about here. You need to trust what I am saying. And there are times when I find myself going, Lord, you know, there are parts as I'm reading this, I'm going, Lord, I, I don't know if I, I like the part about everybody. I know, every, I know you died for everyone, but the idea that everybody has to decide for you, what about all the good people? What about people that I know? I get it, bad people, yeah, but what about people who are good people? But if they, if, if they reject you, Lord, then they're, they're lost. That's hard for me. I, you know, I, there are times where I'm reading something, you know, and yeah, that's what he clearly taught, that everybody's drowning. That basically Jesus is saying, I came into a world that's drowning, and I've given a life, I've put out a lifeline. And whoever will accept that lifeline, it's through me, will have life. And death is the alternative. Now, you've got to understand that. Then um, there are times when I'm reading and I'm going, Lord, this idea of being self-restrained or, you know, what you have to say about morality, it doesn't always go. I, sometimes it, it cuts across the grain of my cultural sensibilities. I would like to quibble with that a bit. But at the end of the day, I'm brought to the same place Peter was brought to. Will I humbly accept his words even when I don't fully understand them or have a hard time appreciating them out of the context of where I am? Can I humble myself and receive that truth and embrace it without fighting him and honor it? That, and that leads me to the second piece here, which is this. There are going to be times not only when we're going to have to be open to the fact that we don't know things better, but I'm going to suggest there are times where we need to remember we don't even know ourselves as well as he does. We don't. We have to be very careful. Okay, if you're newer here, um, you know, this is one of the themes that we talk about a lot when it comes to following Jesus, that we have to be very careful about overestimating our strengths and really honestly and underestimating our weakness. That one of the real keys to growing in our life with God is going to be to have a healthy understanding of where we're we're strong and not to overestimate that and have a real understanding of our weak areas. And this is true for all of us, men or women, wherever we come from, we all have certain things that we're vulnerable to. Listen, Peter said, I am willing to lay my life down for you. He meant every word. In fact, it, again, I mentioned it earlier, if people would have burst through the room, he would have pulled out the sword and fought for Jesus with the adrenaline flowing and he would have been the first one into the melee. That was who he was. And later on, we know that's true because when they come for Jesus in the garden, he pulls out the sword and he starts fighting. And it isn't until Jesus says, put the sword away. Put it away. He tells everybody to stop. He calms it down. And he says, take me. And everybody runs. It is as it is supposed to be. And he goes. But Peter is interesting to me because as I'm looking at that, I'm looking at what's going on. When the conditions changed, his weakness was exposed. What happens later is now, later on, when everything is sort of calmed down, he, he began, what he was willing to do when it meant fighting for Jesus, but all of a sudden, things aren't making as much sense, and he's in a scenario where he's, he's, thinking, he, he's a little uncomfortable, and he clearly is concerned, and all of a sudden, a servant girl starts saying, hey, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? You sound like it. Your accent 
I think you are one of them. No, I'm not. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, he starts shaking. He, he, has, he doesn't want, he's scared of being, the peer pressure starts to get to him. He's ashamed of a little bit of Jesus. All of a sudden, he starts to crumble. He has a weak zone. And, it, and it, what happens is that all of us have zones where we're vulnerable. And part of growing in Christ is learning how to be aware of those zones. Some of us, when the pressure's on us, we fall back into certain patterns of behavior, ways of being. Some of us become extraordinarily negative. Some of us can become hypercritical. Some of us start to articulate doubt, and, and um, we become dispirited. We easily fall into discouragement, depression potentially. We begin, some of us have relational needs, and, and when certain things happen, we are more open potentially to being foolhardy in the way in which we approach relationships. We actually allow ourselves to be far more wounded than we probably, and vulnerable than we should be. Wisdom would dictate otherwise but it's out of our hurt, out of our wound that we're responding. Others of us, we fall back when the pressure's on into habits, sometimes very destructive habits, addictive behavior. We drop back into patterns that the Lord doesn't really want us ever to go back into. He's part of what he's trying to get us out of. You know, I've talked to some people. We're actually, we have a baptism time in this afternoon. Many, a good group of people are getting baptized, and they're articulating their desire to follow Jesus, just like Paul was baptized. Right? He's, it's a new life coming from the grave, rising up in a new life, saying publicly, I want to follow him. I take his name over my life. That statement is, you know what happens? I've watched people when they've, when they've begun to follow Jesus. It's like some things in their past just get miraculously, they get delivered from. I've watched it. It's like, all of a sudden, I don't know, I just, I, I, I just, I feel free. And then the years verify it. As the years go by, they really are. But there's a lot. So there are some things that are almost miraculous when we come to Jesus. But then there are other things that some of us have. Honestly, the truth is, we'll carry that struggle for our entire life on this earth. And it's about learning how to have the grace of God work in our life. This is part of it. It'll be, it's about learning our weakness. That's why we talk. One of the reasons, because listen, some of us have issues that we've experienced in our past that will come back. When the heat is on, there's a very real temptation to fall back into patterns because that's what we did before. Others of us, we were raised certain ways. We have certain experiences in our upbringing that when the, when the heat is on, when the right buttons are pushed, we drop back sometimes in the very things we hate. We despise them when they happen, but we actually become them when the heat is on. My point is the more we learn to understand ourselves, because God's trying to grow us. God's trying to teach us how to grow past things. It's why we need his grace. It's why we talk about letting his word begin to define our life, why it's almost impossible to live a healthy life in Christ without actually devoting ourselves to his words, to prayer, to growth. Um, but there's also the value of others. Jesus talked about this all the time. He didn't say, go follow me all by yourself. He said, I want you to learn how to love one another like I have loved you. I'm very committed to you. He's talking about the value of community. You know, when Peter falls, if he, he very easily, he probably had, if he's a normal person, had feelings of, of suicide. He, we know he was, here's this grown man in utterly weeping in a corner somewhere, feeling the full weight of his betrayal. If your highest value is loyalty and you so utterly betray Jesus, it hits you at the place that you have the highest value. You feel like you're nothing. You can be never used again. You have no value. And the Bible indicates that it, and it makes it seem like it was John who found Peter. 
and brings him back to the others. Safety in the others. So it is in the Christian life. This life of following Jesus, it's built around, it's, it's very healthy to have others because when we fall, someone is there to strengthen our hand and vice versa. Two, better than one, three full cord, not easily broken, strength. We all have areas where we need to have covering and prayers of grace over, prayers of healing. There are times we're going to struggle knowing those areas, being aware of them. That's a very important part of the Christian life. If we're serious about following Jesus, we're going to build others who also love him and want to move forward with him into our lives. So we talk about small groups and ministry teams. We're not just to get people involved because that's safety there. That's where we, even the strong, will. at some times we will need others to encourage us to not quit, to stay with Christ, to stay sometimes when we're our own worst enemy or when we're really losing our passion. We need to hold the lines. This is important. Last thing I'll say, and this is, we'll leave it here, that in Je- and it's connected to verse 36, but in Jesus, there's always, remember this, let's never forget it. It has dual meaning here. There's always an afterwards. Uh, you won't make, you can't go with me now, but you will afterwards. What is that? After what? That has, when Jesus says that, he's talking at multiple levels. He says, afterwards, after what? After you fail? After you're restored? After you give your life for me, which you will do? And after you enter into the life that even now I'm going to die to secure for you through my life? That in my dying comes the possibility to secure the life that you're ultimately going to move into when you give your life for me? It's... That's the, there's afterwards, after your failure, there's an after, in following Jesus, there's a, God has a, his grace for us. But also I see in that word, something shot further into time. Afterwards speaks of beyond this life. And you notice, notice on the cover, future life, how the future impacts the present. It's not just about where we're going. That's going to be pretty important because Jesus says you can believe me there's more to come but how does that impact the present and you know what's interesting to me you say well you know isn't that kind of like using it to sort of help because I'm going to say that there are going to be times where we're going to need to remind ourselves that this is not our final destination some of us are are periodically going to need to remember I have a blessed promise in Jesus Do you believe in God? You believe in God, believe in me, Jesus says. I tell you, there is more yet to come. But when he was telling them, just think about it, when he was telling them about it, where were they? They were in a place in their life where they were absolutely scared to death. They were were feeling very insecure. All the things that were happening to them, they they were, in their own way, extraordinarily afraid. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. This is not the end, and I'm about to secure it. Do you understand? You may not, but I'm about to secure it. Live as one who has something yet to be, and allow what is yet to come, what I'm about to do, to affect how you presently live. What that tells me is there are going to be times where some of us are very afraid of things. We might start to feel enormous pressure. We might start to feel tremendous um, heat on our lives, to like, sort of like feel like discouraged about something. It might be a health issue. Some of us might be afraid of dying. 
And Jesus would say to us, do not, look at, he uses it as a calming mechanism. It's not inappropriate. He says, trust me. You need to trust me right now. There are times where we may feel, and I've felt this way, where I've got so much pressure on me, Lord. I feel like the Lord says, you just need to trust me. Trust me. I have grace for you now and a promise yet to be. Trust me. Let go. Trust me. Believe me. Where I am going, you will be also. If you live life that way, there's nothing that happens that we cannot walk through with God. Nothing. When we really understand what he's saying, when he says believe, when we really do, it affects how we walk through stuff in this life. It does. It's not about escaping. It's about, I'm going to seek to live even more as one who has promise and let that impact my present. You see that? Okay, the, we're going to close. The song that we're closing is going to connect perfectly with it, but let me go ahead and pray. Lord, I, I ask you to just, again, be with us in these final minutes as we finish. Not only be with us in our time of giving as a people, but I pray also that you would just allow these, these words. And even this final song, which really has such a connection to where we're going and how that needs to affect how we are in this present life. Teach us to surrender things to you, Lord, to trust you and to not hold such tight grips and to let fear de define us. We will have a new promise yet to be brought into being. Teach us your ways, O oh God. Give us great courage, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.